Well, let's give the worship team a round of applause, man. We are worshiping, man. Uh, listen, this morning, we are continuing our series. We're actually in the second to last installment of our series entitled The God of Promises, The God of Promises. And this morning, we are addressing and unpacking the promise of power, the promise of power. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 10. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through through 10. If you don't have a Bible, the passage will be here on the screen behind me. And if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in that white rack back there. You are more than welcome to take one home with you when you leave today. So 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. Here's what it says in the word of the Lord. I'm starting in the second half of verse 7. It says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is what? Sufficient for you, and my what? Is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. Strong. It's the word of the Lord. So this morning, we are going to be addressing and unpacking the promise of power. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look at this passage under three headings. The first thing that we're going to look at this morning is we are going to look at and identify the source of our power. So where does power actually come from? That's the first point. The second truth that we're going to learn this morning is we are going to address the pathway to power. In other words, once we, once we identify where power comes from, the second question will be then, how do we actually get there? That'll be the second point, the pathway. And then the last thing we're going to look at is we are going to look at the sacrifices of power, which seems like a very weird heading, but we're going to look at how someone had to make sacrifices in order for us to have access to this Power. So we're going to look at the source of power, then we're going to look at the pathway to power, and we're going to conclude by looking at the sacrifices of power. So let's begin this morning by looking at the source of power. In this little section of scripture, Paul tells us two times who the source of our power is. Look what he says. Let me reread again in verse 9. But he, he's talking about God, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And so in this passage, in this short passage, Paul two times tells us who the source of our power actually is. And the source of our power is God himself. True power can only be found and discovered in God. Now, the question is, what kind of power are we talking about here, right? Like, are we, are we talking about solar power? Are we talking about horsepower? Like, like, like what, kind of, what kind of power is God trying to give? You know, what kind of power does God actually have? Well, here's what's interesting. The, the word power in Greek, it means might. It means a force of nature, a force. But, but essentially, what the, the definition the, for the word power in Greek is this. It is a being's or a person's ability to do something. 
It is a person's or a being's ability to do something. So, so what that means is that power can vary from person to person, right? Because your power is determined by your ability to do something. But what we see is that God doesn't have the same kind of power that we have. God has power at a totally different level. And like I said, it's not horsepower. It's not solar power. It's not man-created power. It is a power that only he can provide. So here's my question. If God is the only source of power, I want to take a moment to imagine a little bit. Imagine what your life would be like if you actually believed that. And some of you are like, well, Pastor Will, you don't get it. I'm a Christian. Of course I believe God is the source of my power. No, 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 but seriously, this is not a comedy show, guys. Let's be honest, okay? Let's pretend, just for the sake, just just to amuse me, let's, let's pretend that you actually believed that God was the source of your power. What are some of the ways that your life would practically change if you actually believed this? There's actually a few benefits that you would experience immediately if you really believe that God was the source of your power. The first thing that would change, the first benefit, is that you would save a lot of time. Tons of time. What do I mean by that? Well, if you remember, last week we said when we came to wisdom, here's how we usually look for wisdom. Whenever we are stuck and need wisdom, we go from person to person and from website to website, and then when we really can't find any other answer, Then we break glass in case of emergency and finally ask God for wisdom. It's usually how we deal with wisdom, right? I think the same thing is true with power. When you are in a situation and you feel feel powerless, what what you do is you go from person to person and from website to website and from from, uh, addiction to addiction and from credit card to credit card looking for power. The problem is, is that that's not where power is found. And so you waste a lot of time looking for power in counterfeit places, in places where power was never meant to be found. And so I just think that one of the clear benefits of just embracing this doctrine is that you save yourself a lot of time and hassle. Tons. I remember uh, a few, maybe, let's say it's eight years ago, I was a, a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor for about a decade. And I was a youth pastor down in Indiana, southern Indiana. And uh, we went on a trip, and it was like my first trip ever. I had never taken a group of kids anywhere. And even as we were leaving, I'm like, how are these parents trusting me with their children? Like, like this is crazy to me, right? But anyways, that's besides the point. So we are driving to, I forgot where we were heading. I think we were in Indiana heading up to Chicago. So maybe southern Indiana, so it was about three and a half hours trip, right? The problem with the van that we were driving is it was a super old, you know, church van, and it just didn't really ride really well, and it just just consumed tons of gas. And so about halfway up, three-quarters of the way up, we got to stop to get gas. Now, the thing you got to know about me is I don't know the first thing about cars. Like, I don't know anything about cars. I know how to turn them on. I know how to turn them off. And whenever one of our cars acts up, what I do to make my wife feel like I'm more competent than what I actually am, I open up the hood and I look at it. I'm like, hmm. I'm like, yep, yeah, honey, all the hoses seem to be connected. The carburetor's connected to the generator. Everything looks good here. And, and I, I'm convinced that the longer I look at it, the more it's going to be fixed. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, nope, still broken. Still doesn't turn out. And so I don't know the first thing about cars. And that includes gas, okay? And so we take this, this van, this old church van, and, and, and we pull up to... Uh, to the, to the gas station, and I get out, and I just go, I grab the, the, the little handle thing, I put it in the thing, and I just, I pick unleaded gas, because that's what we always use, right? 
Unleaded gas is what I use because I'm broke, right? So I, I just use the cheapest form of gas, okay? So I do that, and, you know, and, and, and the, the tank is almost half full. It was like $1,000 to fill it up. And so it's almost, it's almost half full, and, and one of our leaders comes out. He's like, hey, man, you almost done? I'm like, yeah. He's like, hey, did you check to see what kind of gas this van takes? And I'm like, there's different kinds of gases? <laughs> like, like, I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, this van might use diesel or, you know, might need a higher premium gas. I'm like, oh, no. So we start freaking out and we start looking at the manual. And start, eventually, we figure out that it was the right gas. Praise, praise the Lord, right? It would have made a trip a lot longer than what it needed to be. But, but here's, here's how clueless I am about cars. I just found out this year, this is like a major discovery for me, that if you look at the dashboard, there's, the, there's like the little gas thing, thing. That, the arrow, the little arrow next to it, it actually tells you what side the, 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 the thing is. That was, that was groundbreaking for me. I was like, what? Like, every time I would rent a car, I would just try to figure it out. You know what I mean? I would park, I'm like, ah, wrong side. You know, and I was just then, that was huge for me. That was like groundbreaking information, right? But praise be to God, it was the right gas, and I didn't ruin the old, you know, 19, you know 1902 church van, okay? But here's what I learned that day. There are certain cars that are made for a certain type of gas. If you put the wrong gas in a, a, a car that requires this type of gas, not that type of gas, you know what's going to happen? The car is going to run for a little bit, but at some point, the car is going to break down. Why? Because that car was created for a specific type of gas. The same thing that's true of cars is true of you and I. God has created us in such a way that the only gas, the only fuel that works is him. So you can try other things. A lot of you are doing that right now. But at some point, you will become overwhelmed. You will get tired. You will want to give up. The Bible promises that the Lord, for those who trust in the Lord, he will renew your strength daily. Listen, if your strength isn't being renewed daily, then you're probably not trusting in the Lord. Jesus says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But if the yoke that you have is not easy or light, then you probably aren't getting your yoke from Jesus. Okay? So, so I think that the first benefit that we can all experience if we were just willing to accept that God is truly the source of all, of all power is we would save a lot of time. But you know another thing, another benefit that we would get if we really truly believe this? Not only would we save a lot of time, but we would also save a lot of emotional energy. Here's what I mean by emotional, emotional energy. I can't tell you how often in my life and in the life of people who come up to me that you are being swallowed up by, by stress and by anxiety and by fear and by sleeplessness. But then when you actually get to, to, to the bottom of it, the reason why you're struggling is because you are convinced that you are the source of your power. That's the issue with that. That's a big issue. So a lot of us are dealing with so many emotions that would, many of them would be totally eliminated if we can just embrace that God is our only source of power and that you're not it. Listen, the greatest barrier between you and God's power is the illusion that you have power. That's a, that's, that's a major, major barrier for many of us. See, here's the thing, and we've, I've brought this up before and I will bring it up again. One of the things that, that I've brought up in the past is that everybody likes the idea of sitting on God's throne. 
But the problem with sitting on God's throne is that when you sit on his throne, you have to think his thoughts. The throne is nice and gold and, 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 and sparkly. And of course, who, who wouldn't want to sit on that throne? The problem is when you sit on his throne, you have to think his thoughts. And when you sit on God's throne, you start worrying about things that you should not be worried about. You start worried about things that only he should be worried about. I read, I read a business book a few months ago, and it wasn't that great. But, the, but there was one section that was very helpful. And what, what the author said is that one of the best things we can do is whenever we are struggling with stress and anxiety and fear, we can make two lists. One list lays out all the things we can control, and the other list lays out all the things we can't control. He says the reality is most of our emotions, negative emotions that we struggle with, come from the second list, the things that we have no control over. But if I can look at the second part of the list and say, God, that's not up to me, that's up to you, there's a freedom in that. And you save yourself a lot of emotional energy. Ian Bounds is this, this uh, theologian who lived uh, a, few, a few decades ago, and he died a few years ago. Um, and, but Ian Bounds has this book on prayer. He has several books on prayer. But one of my favorite quotes that Ian Bounds has is this. He says, look, you can do a lot more than just pray, right? You can do a lot more than just pray, but you can't do anything until you've prayed. You see the distinction there? So, so we, we do, we can do something about it, Right? But you can't do anything about it until you go to God with it. A lot of us just skip the whole prayer part and try to fix it ourselves. So, so a lot of our emotional energy is dealt with when we understand that God is the source of power and we are not. You know another thing, another benefit I think that can come into your life that you can experience if you really believe this? Another benefit is not just that you save time. It's not that you save emotion, just you save emotional energy, but you also save face. Here's what I mean by saving face. You know, we use that term all the time. Well, I did that because I wanted to save face in that situation. See, for a lot of us, part of the reason why we're so stressed out and anxious and fearful and sleepless, it's not just because we think we can control things, because we're trying to convince everyone else that we can control things. We're putting on a show. Some of us have even gotten to a point in our situation where we've admitted that we can't control it, but we still don't want anyone to know that we've admitted that. We want everyone to think we're controlling it. And so we, we, we spend so much energy trying to save face and look like we're more powerful than what we are. And if we could just from the beginning admit, look, I can't fix this, only God can, then you don't have to worry about your reputation because you're actually just being honest from the beginning. Be like, I need God from the get because I, he's the only source of power. But when you try to convince yourself that you're the source of power, then even when you finally get to the end of, end of your rope and you realize you're not, you're still trying to convince others that you're in control when you're not. But how much easier would life be if you could just stop performing and from the beginning say, Lord, I need your strength in my marriage. I need your strength with my children. I need your strength in my, in my job. I need your strength with my singleness. I need your strength with my past. I need your strength with my sickness. I need your strength with my finances. You, you don't have to say face anymore because you are able to admit that you're a nobody. And the only person that needs a somebody is a nobody. But when you think you're a somebody, you don't need another somebody because you're the somebody. Okay? So, so that's, that's, that's just one of the, the, the specific benefits when, when, when we finally understand who we are in, in, in Jesus, right? So, so the first one is we save time. The second one is we save emotional energy. The, 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 the third one is we save faith. And you know what the last thing I think and I'll finish with this one before we move to the next point. 
we save faith. Not faith, but faith. Here's what I mean by faith. There are many people here today who are struggling with their faith. You're struggling with your belief in God. You're struggling with your faith in the gospel. And it might be because the situation that you're in has gotten so overwhelming that you're starting to doubt if God can do something about it. But what if, and this is just a rhetorical question, theoretical question, what if the person who you've actually lost faith in is not God, but yourself? And so the the crisis of faith that you're having is not because you're doubting God, but because you're doubting yourself. And listen, if that's what you're doing, that's exactly where you need to be. If your crisis of faith is because you can't do it, amen. I pray that you have an even bigger crisis of faith then. Because that's exactly where you need to be in order for God to show up. That's how this works. The other day, uh, my daughter, uh, Leah, wanted breakfast. She came up to me. I was getting ready for work. And she's like, hey, Dad, you know, can, can you make me breakfast? Now, thank God she just asked me to make toast because that's like the only thing I know how to make consistently. But I'm a beast at it, okay? <laughs> like nobody makes toast like Wilfredo Franco. Anyway, so, so she says, so I get why she came to me, right? But anyway, so, so she says, hey, Dad, I need you to make me toast. I'm like, yeah, no problem, honey. So I go, I grab the toaster. I connect the toaster. We have several outlets in our kitchen. I grab the toaster. I connect it to the outlet. I, I pull the little lever down. And you know how, how toasters are. They have like this internal timer, and it goes click, click, click. And so even from a distance, you know the toaster is on because of that little noise. So I, I connect the toaster. I put the bread in. I pull down the lever, and I go get ready. And about a minute later, I hear it pop, and so I don't want her to be the one that does it. So I go, and I go grab the bread. But here's the problem. When I go and grab the bread, the bread is still cold. Like nothing happened. It went down, it clicked, it popped, still cold. So I'm confused. So I do what I always do when I'm confused. I go to my wife, right? I'm like, I don't know what's going on, okay? So I go to Lily and I'm like, what happened? Like, do we have a defective toaster? You know, is it, did I do something wrong? Am I bad at the one thing I thought I was good at? You know what I mean? Like, can I not even make toast anymore, right? So I go to Lily. She comes into the kitchen, and almost immediately, she identifies what the problem is. She says, well, the problem is, is that you've connected the toaster to the one outlet that doesn't work. <laughs> There's only one outlet in the whole kitchen that doesn't work, and that's the one you picked. And so I connected the toaster to the outlet. I pulled down the lever. The toaster made all the necessary noises, and yet it was still cold. It popped, and it was still the same bread. I was in the same situation that I was in before. If anything, it was a little bit worse because now I just wasted a minute of my life, right? Here's the thing. A lot of Christians are just like that toaster. So you come to church and you, you look like things are under control. And, and, and the lever has been pulled down and you're making all the right noises and everything looks great, right? But, but every few days, every few weeks, every few months... Every few years, the, the, the bread pops up again, and nothing has changed. You know what it might be? You're connected to the wrong outlet. You're connected to your resources. You're connected to your education. You're connected to your personality. You're connected to your relationships. You're connected to fill in the blank. But you're connected to something other than Jesus. You are trying to find your strength in something other than Jesus. So, so weeks, months, years, decades go by, 
the, pop, the, dress, the, the, the bread pops up again and nothing's changed because you're relying on something smaller than Jesus. The only outlet that works is God. So you can save a lot of time, a lot of emotional energy, a lot of resources. You can save a lot of things if you just go straight to the outlet that works. Amen? So the second thing that we're going to see this morning is we are going to see the pathway to power. Now, the reason why this second point is so important is because if all we do is address the source of power, but don't ever address how we actually get to that power, then we're kind of stuck. And so what I want to do under the second point is I want to address what pathway, what road do we need to take in order to access the power that God wants to give us? And according to Paul, there's actually only one pathway. There's only one road that leads to God's power. Look what he says here in the passage. Read along with me. So Paul, look what it says in verse 7, first half of verse seven, second half of verse 7. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, here's where we see where the pathway is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in insults, in, insult, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am, then I am strong. Listen, Paul cannot make it any more clear. The word that we repeated again and again and again and again is the word weakness. According to Scripture, the only pathway to power is weakness. It's the only way it works. All of us want God's power, but we're not willing to go down the path that gets you there. That's the issue, okay? Now, here's what's interesting. If you look at what Paul writes, I, I want to give you a little bit of context with this letter. So, so a lot of times when you jump into a, a part of Scripture and you don't know what's going on, it can be difficult to understand. So, so here's what's happening in 2 Corinthians 12, or actually in both Corinthian letters. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth. And the thing about the church in Corinth is that they were very wealthy, they were very smart, they were very successful. And so they were a church that struggled with arrogance. They were a church that struggled with sin and foolishness. And so Paul, in this letter, is writing to them, addressing some of the issues that they're dealing with. And one of the things that they were dealing with is that they were false teachers who had come into Corinth, and they were attacking Paul's character. They were attacking Paul's ministry. And they were saying, hey, Paul is a nobody, and you shouldn't listen to him. And one of the ways we know he's a nobody is because look at all the suffering he's going through. If God was really with him, why would he be going through all the things that he's going through? And so what, God, what Paul does in, first, in 2 Corinthians 12 is he, he starts to explain to the Corinthians that he's actually much greater in a lot of ways than these super apostles, these false teachers that had showed up because he had seen things that no one else had seen. He starts talking about how God had taken him into the third heaven and that he had seen special revelations and these incredible messages from the Lord. Then from there, he says, but because of all the wonderful, glorious things I've seen, he says, the Lord gave me a thorn in my flesh. Now, here's what's interesting about the word thorn. The word thorn in Greek means a sharp point. So, here, so, so it's just, that's all it is. It's a sharp point. So a thorn can be something as small as a splinter or something as big as a spear. That's a really big difference, right? 
Having a splinter in your finger is very different from having a spear, a spear in your heart, right? But a thorn can mean any of those things. So think about what Paul just says. Paul says, because of my temptation to be conceited, God gave me a thorn in order to reveal my weakness so that in my weakness, he might display his power. So in a very counterintuitive sense, in a very counterintuitive way, a thorn is a good thing. God gives you thorns in order that you may see that you're weak, in order that you may go to him for power. See, in and of ourselves, we would never want to admit our weakness, but thorns force us to see our weakness so that we might embrace God's power. Okay? Now, here's what's interesting. Paul describes the thorn as a thorn in his flesh. And Interestingly enough, I didn't bring this up in the second, in the first service, but he says it's a messenger of Satan. So you're like, how can it be from God if it's from Satan? That's how a lot of things are in our lives. God will use something to grow you. Satan will use something to destroy you. The same thing. The way I heard one pastor put it is this. With a lot of situations in our life, it's God sends an email out to you, right? He says, listen, this is the new thorn that you're going to be dealing with. What Satan does is Satan adds an attachment to the email. And he takes God's purpose for the thorn and tries to make it his purpose for the thorn. So God says, I'm giving you this, this thorn in order for you to admit that you're weak so you can turn to me. Satan says in his, if you, if you open up the, the, the attachment, he says, you're a nobody, you're worthless, you deserve it. Of course, this happened to you. The question is, which part of the email are you reading? Are you reading what God has to say about it? Or are you reading what Satan has to say about it? There's this old like Native American parable about the two wolves, right? And, and then they're like, these two wolves are, are battling in your heart. And, and, and the question is, which, which wolf wins? And, and, and the parable essentially is, the, the wolf that you feed is the one that wins. So, so when the thorn comes, which wolf are you feeding? Who, whose voice are you listening to? Which part of the email are you reading? A thorn can be a good thing if you look at it from God's perspective. But if you look at it from the enemy's perspective, then a thorn can never be a good thing. Okay? That's what we see here in this passage. He's given this thorn. And here's the thing. Commentators have no idea what it is because he describes it as a thorn in his flesh. So that can be a physical thing because flesh can mean his physical body or it can be a spiritual thing because he can mean his sinful flesh. Right? So, so some commentators say Paul was struggling with malaria. Some people say he was struggling with a speech impediment. Other people say he was struggling with blindness. Other people say he was struggling with epilepsy. So it could have been a tons of physical things because that could mean physical. But if he means flesh in the spiritual way, the sinful flesh, then it could actually be an addiction he had or a sin pattern that he struggled with or an attitude that he was displaying, anger, or, or maybe it's one commentator suggested it might be shame for who he was before he came to Jesus. That might be the thorn that God gave him, right? Martin Luther, in his commentary, suggested it could be lust. It could be a sexual sin that Paul struggled with as a single man. So, so what I'm thankful for, though, is that the Bible doesn't tell us. You know why? Because if the Bible told us, then you can check yourself out. You can say, well, I don't struggle with that one, so this has nothing to do with me. But praise God that it doesn't because it has everything to do with you. Now listen, every person in here is struggling with some sort of thorn. Remember what I said, a thorn can be as small as a splinter or as large as a sword or a spear. So maybe what you're going through right now is a splinter. You know how splinters are, right? 
you can go a few minutes without thinking about it, but then all of a sudden you, you press on something, you touch something, and there's the pain again. It can be really annoying. It can be really inconvenient. But for a lot of us, you can kind of deal with a splinter if you, if you try your best. But a spear in your chest, that's a totally different ballgame. So some of you might be going through splinters right now. Some of you might be going through spears right now. But here's the thing. Regardless of what size your thorn is, it's given to you by God to reveal your weakness so that you might turn to him for power. But the only way you will get that is if you read the right part of the email. Okay? That's what a thorn is. So some of you, the thorn that you might be navigating is financial. You're dealing with debt or you're, you're, you're struggling with, with money. For some of you, it might be relational in your marriage or with your children. For some of you, your thorn might be uh, an addiction. It might be something sexual, something that was done to you or something that you struggle with. It might be physical. It might be an illness. I'm not sure what your thorn is, but what I know is that it was given to you to reveal your weakness and to exalt God's power. That's the only thing I know, according to this passage. So the question is this. If the thorn God has given you is, it was given to you in order to expose your weakness so that in your weakness you go to God, because if we didn't have thorns, we wouldn't admit we're weak. If that's the purpose of weakness, then why don't we embrace weakness more? Why are we so prone to avoid weakness at all costs? Why is that our temptation, if weakness is actually the only pathway to God? There's actually a few reasons why. I, I actually want to illustrate it for you this way. If, 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 if weakness is the pathway to power, there are certain roadblocks that keep us from getting to power, okay? One of the roadblocks that keep us from embracing our weakness, one of the major roadblocks is the culture that we live in. Why? Because we live in a culture that's preaching a totally different gospel. We live in a culture where it's all about the survival of the fittest, where you are judged by how you look and what you bring to the table. We grow up in that world. And so it's hard to switch off when that's the world you're living in 98% of the time, right? This world is like a walking resume. You are to emphasize your strengths and gloss over or overcompensate your weaknesses because you are performing. You are open to evaluation. And you know what's sad? It's not just the world that does this. You see, a lot of you have grown up in churches that do this too. And so you grow up in a church, and, and, and actually that's why I started Tri-Village Church. I started Tri-Village Church because I wanted to be different from 80% of the churches in America. Many of you grew up in a church where it, it, there's, there's verses you have to memorize and, and there's behavior that you have to display, and, and you better deal with the, the bad stuff. You better not be bringing that stuff up at church. This is for perfect people. This is for religious people. This is for people who have their stuff together. Listen, at Tri-Village, we are not about perfection. We are about progress. And so if you think you're perfect or that's what you're striving for, this is not the church for you. We'll see you later. Because we are about progress and not perfection. That's what we're about here. And so some of you, the reason why you can't embrace your weakness is because the church that you grew up in doesn't allow you to. 
Because you grew up in a church where weakness is demonized, where weakness is devalued, where, where weakness is, is overlooked and hidden. And here we have it all together. But if you have it all together, you don't need a Savior. That's why you don't hear the gospel preached in many churches in America. Because why would you need a gospel if you have it figured out? So the first thing that keeps us from uh, uh, embracing our weakness is the culture that we live in. An- another, another thing that keeps us um, from embracing our, our weakness is not just the, the culture that we live in, but it's our conceit. We are conceited. And I actually get that from the passage because he says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited. See, the word conceited is a very interesting word in Greek because it means to be overly proud. It means to rise beyond the level you're supposed to be at. I found that interesting because I've always thought that pride is this horrible thing. But, but in, in a way, there's, there's good pride, right? You can be proud of where you're from. You can be proud of, of, of what you've done. But, 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 but conceit is over pride. It's being overly proud. It's not having confidence. It's being arrogant. That's what conceit there means. It literally means to rise above the standard you should be at. So this is where you should be, and conceit means to put yourself up here. Paul says that the reason why God gave him a throne, well, a thorn was to kill his conceit. He was conceited. For a lot of us then, think about how that works logically. If, if, if the reason why God gives us thorns is to kill our, you know, us being conceited, then it, the, other, the other side of it is true too. The thing that can keep you from embracing your, thro- your thorns and your weakness is that you're too conceited. Amen. You don't allow God to do his work and so you, you stay conceited. We, we, are, we are full of ourselves. And why would we need power when I have my own? Why would I go to God for something that I already have? That's what conceit does. It keeps you, remember what I said earlier, the thing that can most keep you from God's power is the illusion that you have some. That's why conceit is so dangerous. But you know how life is, right? There are moments where we can be hit in the face with something and then we're forced to face our weaknesses, right? You can deny your weakness for a while, but there's always moments where, you, you know, the real gets real, right? And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm not as, I'm not as strong as I thought I was. And, and the other night uh, I was at a baseball game. Um, I was invited to a baseball game by uh, Patty and Kevin McDonald, who go to our church. And they, they, this, this really wealthy guy gave them tickets. And so we were like in a really nice skybox area at the White Sox game last week. And so I was loving it, man. I was eating shrimp and I was, I was, I mean, I, God knows why I don't have money because I would be so bougie. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. So we get in and we, we get the parking right and we walk in and, you know, like we walk right past everybody. I'm like, man, I can get used to this, you know? So, 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 so we get up to, to the, to the skybox and, uh, and, and we're sitting there and Kevin McDonald says, Hey, listen, man, make sure you keep an eye on the game. Because we were sitting directly behind home plate. And even though there was a net there, we were so high that if the ball was hit in the right way, it could land in our box. I'm like, man, I got this, man. I'm like a cat with these reflexes. Are you serious? <laughs> what? <laughs> right? And so anyway, so we're sitting there and I'm eating my, my you know, expensive food. And it's just, anyway, so I'm eating my food. And, 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 and a few times the ball hit. And I'm not even paying attention. I'm eating my waffle fries and, you know, drinking my Pepsi. I'm not even paying attention. He's like, look, did you see that? I'm like, I didn't see anything, man. This is too good, right? He's like, get ready because a ball might come in our direction. I'm like, man, just calm down, Kevin, right? Calm down. 
Your pastor's got this, right? <laughs> so then finally, right around, I think, the sixth or seventh inning, the pitcher throws a pitch, the batter hits it, boom. And he hits it, and the ball starts spiraling backwards over the net and right at us. So this is like a moment of truth for me, right? Like, am, am I going to stand up and show how powerful and strong I am? Am I going to jump forward and grab it? Am I going to dive on my wife and protect her? Like, what is Pastor Will Franco going to do? I'll tell you what I actually did. I had a lot of things I wanted to do. What I actually did was, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, like this. <laughs> so, so Kevin, he tries to grab it. He doesn't grab it. He sits down. He's like, you duck, bro. And I'm like, I didn't duck, man. I was looking for something on the floor. <laughs> duck is a strong word. He's like, Will, you duck. And he's like, and if you use this story, I'm going to fact check you. So do not tell, say anything other than the truth. <laughs> and so him and I are having this argument. And the dude behind me is like, you ducked. And I'm like, dang it. <laughs> I'm like, who are you, bro? Why are you in my conversation right now? Mind your own business. Okay. So I, was, I came face to face with my weakness in that moment. And I realized that I wasn't as powerful as what I thought I was. But listen, sometimes God puts us in positions like that to remind us of our frailty, to remind us of our weakness, to remind us of our dependence on him. You know, what's interesting about the word weakness in, in the Greek, and he brings it up multiple times, is that a lot of times when we think of our weaknesses, you know, it's like a job interview. We think of all our strengths and we think of all our weaknesses, right? So what some of you are thinking right now is, you're right, Will, from now on, Whenever I'm in an area of weakness, I'm going to trust on the Lord. But that's not what Paul's saying here. Because the word weakness there doesn't have to do with a particular area. It has to do with the whole person. It's a condition that you have. So weakness isn't like, like a symptom. It is a condition. So you're either powerful or you're weak. And none of us are powerful. Okay? The whole person is weak. So, so just like we talked about last week when we talked about wisdom, we said that James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, it almost seems like there's people who don't lack wisdom. But what he actually means is that we all lack wisdom, but there's just some people who are willing to admit it. The same thing is true of weakness. It's not like there's some areas where you're strong and some areas where you're weak. We are all weak because it's a condition, and God helps those who can admit it. Okay? That's what that means. I heard a quote from J.D. Greer uh, that really convicted me. It was emailed to me by one of our elders. Here's what it said. He said that if the goal of your life is dependence, then weakness is a strength. Let me go ahead and say that again. If the goal of your life is dependence, then weakness is a strength. You know why, for a lot of us, weakness is not a strength? Because the goal of our life is not dependence. The goal of our life is independence. And so when I come off weak, weakness is not a strength. It's only in the kingdom of God that weakness can be a strength, that a thorn can be a blessing. Okay? So let's go back to the three points. So the first thing that we looked at this morning is we looked at the source of our power, and we said that the source of our power is God. The second thing that we saw this morning is we looked at the pathway to power, and, and what we said is that the pathway to power is weakness. The last thing I want to do this morning, and I want to conclude with this, is I want to look at the sacrifices of power. And I want you to see that I specifically made it plural, not singular, the sacrifices of power. Here's why this third point is so important. 
Because one of the things that I came across this week that at least I was struggling with, and maybe you've kind of been struggling with too as I've preached, is the more I meditated on God's power and the more I understood my weakness, the greater the gap became. And, and, and what most bothered me was like, wait, 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 wait. If God really is as powerful as he is, and I'm really as weak as I am, then how can I ever really access God's power? Like, how can that gap actually be filled? Because clearly, in light of this passage and just scripture in general, I can't do anything to get that power. But that's the thing that the Lord kept trying to just, I just kept being convicted of. Wow, if this power is so great and I am so weak, how can I ever hope to access this power? How can I ever even dare to ask for it if I don't deserve it? And what hit me this week is that God's power is so above us that there's no way we can ever work our way up to get it. And so someone had to come down and give it. And the person who came down and gave it was Jesus. And the reason why I use the word sacrifices and not the word sacrifice is because Jesus didn't just make one sacrifice of power. Jesus made multiple sacrifices of power. Listen, the first sacrifice that Jesus made is that he came down. Okay? Because in Philippians 2, it says that he emptied himself in order to become a man. So Jesus, the moment he left his father's right hand in heaven, he sacrificed power to come down to be here with you and I. So the first sacrifice that Jesus made was he left his father's side. But the ultimate sacrifice, and we know where I'm going with this, the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus' power was at the cross. Because at the cross, what Jesus did, it's not even at the cross, even as you build up to the cross. And during Holy Week, Jesus is in the garden. And, 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 and according to, I've been in Jerusalem, I've, I've, I've stood in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you look at, from the Garden of Gethsemane at Jerusalem, the way that it was set up, Jesus would have seen his enemies coming from miles away. And so you see Jesus sacrificing power because there was no electricity back then. He would have seen the torches from miles away. Miles away. You see Jesus sacrificing power because he willingly stays there. He stays there. And then when they show up, they're like, we're looking for Jesus. And he says, I am he. And they all fall down because of how powerful he was. Then Peter tries to fight back. Jesus says, dude, I don't need your help. Because if I want it, I can call all the legions of heaven to come down and destroy these fools. So Jesus sacrifices his power, not just when he becomes a man. He sacrifices his power, not just in the garden, but then he ultimately sacrifices his power at the cross. At the cross, the only powerful one became powerless so that the powerless might become powerful. At the cross, the, the only powerful one became weak so that the weak might become powerful. Jesus did that for you and for me. That's what he went through for you and for me. And so what we need to understand, what we need to process is, is, is Jesus is not just the Lion of Judah, but he's the Lamb of God. That's what's amazing about John. We talked about this a few weeks ago that when John writes in the Gospel of John, he's so close to a human Jesus that he's literally resting up on his chest at the Last Supper. That same John, a few years later, he sees the vision of Revelation and he's terrified. So, so, so the Lamb of God is now the Lion of Judah. At the cross, the Lion of Judah became the Lamb of God so that through him his sheep might become lions. That's beautiful. That should do something to you. It should. 
That's, that's what Jesus is getting at. That, that's, what, that's what Paul's trying to point at. Here, here's what's crazy about the way Paul writes here. In the Greek, which we don't, wouldn't see in the English, but in the Greek, uh, Paul uses two Greek words that connect us back to the finished work of Jesus. The first word that Paul uses is kalafizo. And the word kalafizo is the word he uses when he says that he was tormented. The word torment there, it, 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 there the, the NIV translates, translates it weird because what it actually means, it means to be beaten with fists. It's the same Greek word that's used to describe Jesus in Mark and in Matthew when he was beaten by the soldiers. But that's not the only Greek word that he uses that connects us to Jesus. Then he says later on, he talks about how my power is made perfect. This is God speaking to Paul. He says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. The word perfect in Greek is the word teleos, which means to finish something, to bring it to completion. And teleos is the same word that Jesus used on the cross when he said it is finished. It is teleos. And so if God's power is made perfect in my weakness, then the beautiful, the most incredible display of God's power had to be at the cross because that's where God's power was completed. That's where it was finished. And so that's what's so counterintuitive about the gospel, that, that, that if the greatest example of our weakness is sin, then that means the greatest example of God's power is salvation. That's what that means. See, Jesus, in the moment, in his greatest moment of weakness, God denied Jesus power so that in our greatest moment of weakness, he might give us power. He didn't do it for him so that he can do it for us. One of the things that this passage says there in verse 9, it says, my grace is sufficient for you. I have a question for you. Is grace really sufficient for you? Is grace enough for you? If it's not, you know why it's not? The reason why grace is not enough is because you think you're enough. And the reason why grace is not sufficient is because you think you're sufficient. Listen, to the degree that you can embrace the depths of your weakness, to that same degree you will experience the heights of God's power. Let's pray.